This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And hello, welcome, welcome. You can see me here. I'm getting major tongue by our new adopted dog. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram. If you don't, you should be at Dr. Jeff Werber. Uh, anyway, so tough week uh, this past week. We had to say goodbye to my almost uh, 12-year-old cat who was doing great tuxedo. He was the most lovable cat in the world. I posted a little video of him so you could see how just wonderful he was. Um, but he had congestive heart failure, and he just went so fast. It was so sad. And as you know, a few weeks back, we had to say goodbye to my 14-year-old Frenchie, Herbie. So desperately needing another playmate for our other dogs and our cats. Here is Marty. Marty is a, we don't know what he is. He was a mutt brought in from uh, one of our rescues, Eloise. Looks like a, we think he's a Havapu. That's, that seems to be the consensus. Seven months old. Um, he was abandoned. They found him at a shelter and uh, brought him to my office. And I kind of almost knew right away that he was going to go home with me. And he did. And he is so cute. He's so adorable. So uh, I knew we were having a blast with Marty. And I said, it's just so wonderful. He gets along with everybody. He's such a little vance. Everything goes into his mouth. He's dragging stuff all over the house. He gets a tug of wars with my 80-pound Labrador. And uh, so the lab, obviously, he's just a little guy here. So he's being dragged all over the house, too. We don't have to actually you know, do any kind of cleaning around the house because he picks up all the loose hair. Uh, when he's being dragged around the house, it's actually adorable. And he is just so cute. He gives great ear washes. If you ever need a clean ear, just uh, we can, you can borrow Marty. He just goes right after the ear and just licks it like crazy. He's nuts. Anyway, good morning. Good afternoon. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. Uh, we would love you to join us. We'd love to see you and your pets. You just see how easy it is? You can just put them right on camera like we have Marty here. And um, to reach us, you can give us a call, toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Better yet, join us live. Google Hangouts, very easy. Log on to Pet Life Radio, click on the shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and there is a Google Hangouts link waiting for you to click on, sitting there with your pets, and um, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. I want to talk a little bit. I, you know, lately I was, I just came back from a, the Western Veterinary Conference. That was great. That was in, in Las Vegas. But the week and a half before that, I was in Colorado at the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association Ski Snowboard Conference. So sessions early morning, sessions evening, and all day on the slopes. It was fantastic. The speaker, Dr. Dave Bouillette, formerly from VCA, internal medicine specialist with a subspecialty in endocrinology. And it was absolutely amazing. And we learn a lot of new stuff. And um, one of the things I want to talk about, only because after, it was so interesting, after hearing David speak, we had, I've had three diabetes cases coming in in the last week and a half, which is just, I talk about bad things happening in threes. So um, anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about diabetes mellitus and some new things that we've learned, especially about our insulins. But before we do, I'm going to put, say goodbye, Marty, say goodbye, everybody. Yeah, mm, he is so cute. Kisses, kisses galore. As Marty's going to kind of explore my uh, my home studio here. So just things I like to do, as you know, I like to peruse the news, as we say, uh, some things happening here. And I think it's, you know, just for interesting for you guys to know. And if I if any of these hit a nerve with you and you say, oh, my God, I want to know more about that, just give us a call, 877-385-8882. You can also send me a quick note. I will get it immediately real time to Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLife Radio. 
Com. So uh, we all know that this is a, a new study. Nothing really new, though. It's just more confirmation that we need to share with you. Thorough veterinary dental care that can prevent pain and health issues. Uh, good dental care. This is a quote by the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Can prevent a lot of pain, loss of teeth and health issues caused by bacteria and bacterial infections such as heart, liver and kidney problems. And that is so true. Here's the key. Anesthesia-free dental. People are so afraid to anesthetize their pets. Our modern anesthesias are so safe. And listen to this. Anesthesia-free dental cleanings are less thorough, which we know. I, I mentioned that study by Dr. Jan Bellows, a very famous veterinary dentist. We're just showing the bone destruction on these dogs that were getting their teeth cleaned with anesthesia-free, but cannot get deep into the gums. And there is a lot of bone destruction over time. And also more stressful. You think, you know, we had a woman, look, I, I'm just as much at fault. I had a woman come in, thought she was great, and she was, and she would, would appear to lull these animals to sleep as she's scraping away. But when you find out that she is not, no one can, and how many times have you, you know, you look at the front teeth, oh my God, look at that beautiful, they did such a great job. But typically what happens is they don't get deep to the gums. They don't get to the very back teeth. Those teeth, because of the salivary ducts that empty into the mouth at that point, they're the ones that are getting more of the tartar. So it's so important to get all that done. So anyway, keep that in mind. If anyone out there, I hope you don't, but if you do, has a pacemaker, check this out. They need to be changed at whatever the interval is. Obviously, the battery can only last for so long. And um, so if yours needs replacement, think about this. Consider donating it to a veterinary school that does pacemaker implants into patients that have certain heart diseases that need to have pacemakers. Navicent Health, uh, what they do is they offer the option to donate the pacemakers. They go to University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine, and they are implanted into dogs in need. So don't toss them. Make sure the hospital you go to doesn't toss them. Check it out. Check your local veterinary schools, maybe one in your state. Maybe they can ship it out. You can get contact us. We can do the homework for you. But uh, very important to, because they're very expensive. And a lot of people that whose pets may need one can't afford them. Here, they get a recycled pacemaker, and um, that is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. We talked about rabid bats uh, a couple of weeks ago. Guess what? Another one found. Hear this. This was at the entrance to a shopping mall in San Francisco Bay Area. So, I mean, that's, that's getting pretty dangerous there. Can you imagine walking into a mall and being greeted by a bat that happens to be a rabid bat? So they were asking for anyone who may have seen the bat, may have contacted, touched the bat, whatever, uh, they should uh, go to uh, their local public health department and give a call just to let them know. That could be dangerous. Here's uh, something that is really cool. Nashville Zoo just built a 24,000-square-foot veterinary clinic, which can accommodate animals over 2,000 pounds. And what they have is really cool. They have cameras above their operating rooms, in their exam rooms, and over their tables. And they have also windows, open windows. So visitors can observe exams, surgeries, and really cool neonatal care. That's really cool. Now, I did this. I know that Disney World has also an amazing, absolutely amazing veterinary clinic. And um, I, as a veterinarian and you know, one who uh, works in the media, I was uh, had, quote, unquote, the backstage passes. And I got to go through, meet the doctors, see what they're doing. And I have to tell you, it is so cool. So anyway, just as an FYI, I know that, I don't know if, you've, if I mentioned it, I'm going to be on a safari in July. And um, again, the guy who is organizing the safari for me knows some of the veterinarians in the local reserves, and we're going to try to at least get me some FaceTime again with them. That'd be really cool. Now, the FDA is continuing its study 
on the dilatative cardiomyopathy. And that is the condition that we're now starting to see more in dogs. And we never used to see much cardiomyopathy in dogs. There's some breeds were prone to maybe congestive cardiomyopathy, but this is the one that you see with taurine deficiency, the one that we see in cats. And um, we're seeing, you know, much higher rate of DCM lately in dogs. And again, is there a link? And they're still trying to figure it out. We don't know, but it appears that we're seeing it in these dogs that have been fed some of these boutique foods or some of these quote unquote grain free foods. And they have not been able to identify a direct link, but obviously there is a hypothesis out there that there is a link or else why are we seeing it? So again, I would speak to your veterinarian before switching. There may be some type, the taurine is actually made by cysteine and methionine. And these are the sulfur compound containing amino acids. And there may be something in the legumes, the products, the nutrients that they they are replacing with the grain with. And so what's happening is, even though the grains have sources of protein, and legumes have a great sources of protein, but maybe their cysteine and methionine is different or is not, they're not able for whatever reason to convert that to taurine. So uh, uh, anyway, it's just something out there. We're seeing a lot of it. We don't have any answers really yet, but it is very concerning uh, that we're seeing so much dilative cardiomyopathy in these dogs. So my recommendation at this point, speak to your veterinarian uh, if your dog is doing well. Remember, grain-free is a thing for us. There's been no proof, no evidence that dogs have grain issues, unless, of course, an individual dog might be allergic. The two allergies that we see that are most common in dogs from from the grain perspective is going to be corn and wheat. So most of the others are fine. And but again, if there's if your dog doesn't have an allergy specifically, there's no other downside to the grain. So you know, we I know we, we talked about this before. We have a tendency to anthropomorphize. We have a tendency to take our values and interject them and inject them into the dog's values. And that not necessarily the way to go. So something to consider, something to think about, something to talk about. It, just because it's good for you may not be good for your dogs. Oh, here's a sad thing. Someone at a park, it's called Wallace Sand State Beach in Rye, New Hampshire, has been putting out these pill pocket treats stuffed with caffeine. And uh, caffeine in high amounts can be very toxic to dogs. There actually was one dog death because of it. So um, if you happen to know about this state beach and you are in that area, my recommendation would be to be very, very careful and um, not let your dog pick up anything that looks like a treat. This is really a cool story. And um, how far would we, these scientists go to prove certain hypotheses? But they notice that the horse flies don't really attack zebras for whatever reason. They attack horses. Are they that species specific? So what do they do? Why might this be the case? So they started disguising horses as zebras. They put these big, you know, like costumes over them with stripes. And since they, those horses that were disguised as zebras were getting way less fly bites from the horse fly. So for some reason, the zebra stripes baffle these flies and um, uh, fewer landed on the horses in the first place, suggesting the following, that zebra stripes protect the zebras. And it seems that when they study the horse fly itself, they fail to decelerate as they're trying to land on the horse. So what happens is in these zebras and horses disguised as zebras, they either fly right past them or they bounce off of them because they were going so fast going into them. So obviously the stripes are doing something to mess up their their sense of distance 
And uh, so I don't know, maybe if you have a lot of horsefly problems, think about buying your horse a zebra costume. Yeah, yeah, it might help. Who knows? But that's, I mean, just when you think about it, some guys had a, a, a hypothesis. Gee, why is that? I know. I get it. Let's disguise a horse as a zebra and see if it works. And um, it did. So they think it must be something actually visually in the fly and the zebra stripes. And also one thing is as a caution, you know, we're finally after tons of rain and snow, Mammoth Mountain, I'm going there in a couple of weeks, there's more snow than anywhere in North America. And uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Southern California today. So as people are going to be outside more and more, we are anticipating to see more and more snake bites. And anywhere, if you live in an area, snakes like springtime. So if you're living in an area where you know when you hike your dog, when you run, whether it's in, in, in mountains and foothills and you're seeing snakes, uh, be very, very careful. And another caution, I definitely recommend getting your dogs if you are frequenting those areas, snake bite vaccine. However, a snake vaccine, all right, that will not completely protect your pet against the snake bite venom. What it will do is will buy you time. So I always recommend that if you are going and exercising, hiking with your dogs in such areas, very, very important to know the closest veterinary hospital that does carry the snake bite venom. They're usually emergency clinics, some regular general practices in areas where they are at the base of these parks will carry it as well. But you need to know before you take your dog out, the closest veterinary hospital that will stock this snake bite uh, venom to help protect the ant. It's called an anti-venom to help protect your dogs in the case of a snake bite. The vaccine, however, will buy you a little time. So that is very important. So anyway, we're at that halfway point here in our show. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about diabetes. There are two different kinds. Then we're going to concentrate, of course, on diabetes mellitus, which is the sugar diabetes. The difference between cats and dogs when it comes to diabetes mellitus and what you can do, how you can treat it, and just some precautions to take. So don't go away. We'll be right back after these short messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here. Talking about diabetes. So what is diabetes? There are two types. Typically, when just someone uses the word all by itself, diabetes, it is implied it is diabetes mellitus. That's the sugar diabetes. That is an issue where insulin is not being secreted in adequate amounts or in any amounts by the pancreas 
what we call the endocrine pancreas. Remember, the pancreas is an organ that has an endocrine function and exocrine function, meaning that it also supplies digestive enzymes. That's the exocrine. And the endocrine function from the islet cells will secrete insulin. Insulin signals the, the body to, to absorb blood, the sugar, the glucose in the blood into cells for nutrition. So when we have a dog that has diabetes mellitus, the one, one of the things we, we, we can tell is that we take a blood test and the blood sugar is super high. Why? Because the sugar, the glucose is not being, because of no insulin, transported into the cells for nutrition. So these animals get very sick because even though the sugar's there, they're eating, they're getting all this, the sugar to use for energy for the cells, but the cells aren't getting it. It just accumulates in the, um, in the blood. And when it gets very high, it can cause a lot of other problems. Now we call one of them is called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. This is where the, because the diabetes is not controlled, the animals start getting very, very sick. There's also another diabetes that we see called diabetes insipidus, and that is the water drinking diabetes. That is where the, the body is not able to concentrate the urine because all of the water that we take in is basically being urinated out. And so it's a problem within the kidney itself, and it's a very, very complex pathway where the body is not reading how much water we need to save. The kidneys are supposed to do that. They're supposed to see what the body needs, and they get just to urinate out the excess. The more dehydrated we are, the more water we're going to keep, and therefore the darker the urine will be, the more concentrated. If we're just drinking a ton of water, like there's some conditions that make us do that, diabetes mellitus, by the way, is one of them, then we drink a lot of water, but the urine is coming out just pure clear. Uh, like I, I say as an example, go out with the, you know, the guys go out, have a, a few more than just a few beers. And before you know it, they're visiting the restroom quite frequently. And the urine is pretty much clear because they've tapped out. The body doesn't need any more hydration. It's got all it needs. So everything that goes in comes right back out. So again, both diagnosable, both treatable, but diabetes mellitus is more common. So we have basically, just like in people, there are two types of diabetes mellitus. You have type one, which is the insulin-dependent diabetes. That's what kids get. We call that juvenile-onset diabetes in people. In dogs, however, dogs predominantly, 99.9% of the time, get type 1 diabetes. That was the equivalent of our juvenile diabetes, insulin-dependent, regardless of when they get it, when they're, how old they are when they are diagnosed. Cats, however, are more like type 2 diabetes. That is the diabetes that people get, adult onset, usually associated with obesity, and that is what cats get pretty much all the time. So again, depending on other factors, depending on what their, their insulin levels are, these cats sometimes need to be treated. Usually we start with insulin, and we sometimes can get away from insulin with modified diets, special diets, and maybe even some medication that have a, an anti-gluconeogenic effect. So basically, they stop forming, producing so much glucose, and um, it combats the glucose buildup, and, and that's kind of how that one works. So these are sometimes managed by diet and supplement, uh, but usually we're going to start them with some form of insulin. Now, insulin. Insulin, there are in humans, pretty much all the insulin is what we call U100. That means it's 100 units per cc of insulin. And there are many different types of insulin. Most of us, you know, will use the Humulin if we're going to use human insulin. And we'll use Humulin N. There is Humulin R, which is regular insulin. And that is the one that uh, we use and start with 
when we first have a case coming in. And that could be to, to get them regulated pretty quickly, but it doesn't have a really long lasting effect. Then we'll get them transferred to one of the other humulins. As I said, a lot of us use humulin N. Now, there's also uh, newer insulins that one is called Prozinc. We use that for cats typically. Vetsulin, which is we use for dogs, can be used for cats as well. Glargine, Lenti insulin. So the key is with insulins, typically we've always been told that they need to be refrigerated. And the insulin itself, you need to handle the insulin very carefully. For one thing, they've gotten so expensive. I mean, you used to be able to buy a bottle of Humulin for $30. Now they're astronomically expensive. And what you have to be very careful about is we've always told you know our clients that when you get insulin and you're administering it to your pet, first of all, you really need to learn how and where to give the injections. They're given subcutaneously under the skin, but be, you need to be very careful because these needles are very short and small that you don't go intradermally because it's not going to get absorbed properly and it's not going to work properly. So uh, sub-Q, so you need to practice, you need to work with your veterinarian. The insulin itself comes in, as I said, two types, two concentrations. U100 is pretty much the normal human insulins, but in animals, we also have U40. And it's very important to make sure that the syringes you buy are those to match the type of insulin you're giving. You don't want to use a U40 insulin syringe with U100 insulin and vice versa. So need to check with your veterinarian, need to check with the pharmacist that they have, if you're giving something like Prozinc or Vetsulin, which is U40, that you are using U40 syringes. It's very complicated to figure out the difference. It's, and, and you don't want, you could, I mean, yes, it's possible to use a U40 insulin with a U100 syringe, but you need some adjusting in the, in the calculation. Don't do it. It's so much easier. Just get yourself a U40 syringe, get yourself a U100 syringe, depending on the insulin you're using. Another thing that you need to know, we often tell people that when you're handling insulin, it needs to be refrigerated. And when you are taking the bottle out and you're about to give it, you are needing to slowly roll the bottle back and forth, upside down, etc. You do not want to shake insulin. Vetsulin, however, you're supposed to shake. So again, it's not like you're shaking a martini. You don't have to go that crazy. But you want to just give it a good shake and, and get it into a good, even-looking solution where it's not lighter in some areas than others. But vegetalin is the only one you're supposed to shake. Humulins, you roll. I call it rock and roll. You're just gently turning it as you're rolling the bottle in your hands and you're going up and down, back and forth. And Prozinc, you also, you have to roll. The Glargine, you have to roll. But in the vetsulin, U40 vetsulin, you get to shake it. So again, there's so many intricate details when you're working with these animals. Another thing, very important to make sure that when you give insulin, your pet eats. Now, typically with dogs, because we know dogs, dogs usually like to devour their food. We'll give the insulin first you know, 12, every 12 hours. They say 8 a.m., 8 p.m., 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and then you put their food down and they eat. Cats, on the other hand, cats are not you know great eaters all the time, and they're not as predictable. So what we recommend with cats, if you're using insulins, is that you want to first feed them, make sure they're eating, and then you can give them the insulin shot because it's very dangerous. What would happen? Think about it. You are using a medication that is going to drive blood sugar into the cells as it is supposed to be driven. Now, if you don't eat, so now your blood sugar is just low because the fact that you have not eaten, and now you give insulin, then what's happening? The smaller amount of sugar that's floating in the blood is now going to the cells, and we're going to create something called hypoglycemia, where the low blood sugar, I'm sure you've all met people that are on, uh, they're diabetic 
on medication. And you're always asked to, you know, maybe have some orange juice, uh, some, a chocolate bar with them, something that if they should start feeling lightheaded and dizzy because of hypoglycemia, then you can give them something to eat. So it's very the same. It's the same thing in, in dogs and cats. So if you have animals that are less predictable when it comes to their meals, make sure they eat first before you give the insulin injection. If you have a dog like my Labrador that will eat anything that's not bolted down or doesn't eat him first, you're pretty much pretty much safe to go ahead and, and give the insulin in the morning and then feed them right after the shot. Now, another thing, it's very important early in the game, as we are titrating the correct amount of insulin that your pet needs, there's going to be a number of times in the first several weeks, months of, of, of treatment where you're going to be having what's called a insulin curve done. And that is we need to get so much, how much insulin is the exact right amount. We don't want the blood sugar to drop too low, but we can't have it sitting in the 400 range. The urine threshold, which means the amount of insulin in blood that is going to finally start spilling over the urine is usually 250 milligrams per deciliter. So if your blood sugar hits above 250, then you're going to probably see some blood sugar glucose in the urine as well. So obviously there's a good telltale and sometimes that's the easy way to, to diagnose or just to monitor is doing urine sticks. And if the urine shows that there's too much, um, that there is positive glucose in the urine, then clearly the blood glucose is over 250. So that tells us we, we need to do something. Our insulin level is too low. We got to raise up the insulin. So we kind of start at a set dose and then we do some titrating. And the beautiful thing is once we get it down, these dogs and cats can do very well. Now, as I said, with cats, I've had cats that have reversed. I've had cats that we were able to monitor, to regulate on simply some diet and very low or no insulin. So that cats, are, it's very similar to type two in a person. It's not as necessarily insulin dependent. Dogs are. So anyway, that's a lot to deal with. If you have any questions about diabetes, about treatment, about complications, etc., please get a hold of me at Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Also, you can send me something on my Instagram at Dr. Jeff Werber. And as I say, if nothing else, you're going to get some really, really cute pictures. You're going to get some good video just on some things that, that we do at the office, mostly education. Remember, they got to be short and sweet, which they are. So you're looking at it like a minute. They got to be 30, 60 seconds. So if you need something, if you want to learn something, you can go ahead and uh, reach me that way. So that'll do it for today. Hope you have a great day, a great week. We'll be here same bat time, same bat channel next week here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Uh, once again, 877-385-8882 if you ever want to call in. And the best way is join us on Google Hangouts and uh, follow me at, uh, at Dr. Jeff Werber on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.